0: We're going to start a new series on the family. Let's go ahead and throw this up, uh, Katie. I, I, I didn't want to do a PowerPoint, but the last eight weeks of doing PowerPoints kept me so strict in what I was presenting. I think it allowed my teaching gift, which is what I really operate in as a, as a minister, as I'm more of a teacher than anything, it allowed me to stay on point and allowed the Word of God to plow deeper uh, than I probably anticipated. So maybe for the next few weeks as I teach on family... We'll do this. It takes a lot of work to put these together and proof them and make sure they run all right. But if it helps, it helps. I won't do them Sunday nights. I won't do them Wednesday nights unless it's just a special thing. I just don't want to get into a habit of PowerPoints. But the Lord's been dealing with me about teaching on family because we understand just through basic philosophy, family is the building block of society That's sociology right there. It's the building block of society. And in the last, if you hadn't noticed, in the last 10 to 15 years, the Western culture has decided it has privilege or permission to totally revolutionize what family is. Now, before you start thinking acronym soup, (laughs) because they certainly are redefining marriage, LGBT, I will tell you that some of you in here have exalted your dog to family member, and that's just as wicked. I'll prove it to you from the word. Don't get offended yet. But we need to go back to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, to see what God said concerning family. Family is God's creation. It's his institution. It's the first thing he ordained after creation and the restoration of the earth. So we need to go back to the book of beginnings. We'll be using a hermeneutical tool called the law of first mentions. Hermeneutics is the law of interpretation. It just means to interpret something. And so uh, the law of first mentions basically says the first time God's word mentions something, that sets the precedent. Now thereafter, the word of God can tweak it and polish it and curb it. But the first time God mentions something, that's His original intent. That's why we understand marriages between one man and one woman. It's not the polygamy of the kings because originally it was one man and one woman. God took. One one rib out of Adam, not seven. I mean, plus, if he took that many ribs out of you, you just collapse. So, you, so thankfully, he allegorically, we, we, I believe he did it literally, but only for one. He took one rib out because that's all you can afford to lose, man. And, and plus, we understand you barely have enough strength to keep up with the wife you've been given, much less seven or 900 like Solomon. For the wisest man ever, he got stupid real quick. That's dealing with three women a day. That's three birthdays and anniversaries a day when you have 900 and how much upset feelings every day. (laughs) (laughs) Daryl? All right. Let's move on to the Bible. Culture is one of the greatest blind spots in a man's heart. I teach a lot against culture, for culture. I study culture, being missionary grace as God has given me and having traveled the world a lot. You get to see families, especially, I love being able to travel among the saints of God around the world because you quickly recognize what's God and then you quickly recognize what's national culture. Because you can get among them and deep calls out to deep and spirit calls out to spirit. I say, man, this is, these might be Lua tribesmen of the Kenya, of Kenya, but boy, we're, body, we're the body of Christ. And we have all this in common. And then how they're doing dinner is way different than how we did it growing up in Louisiana. But that's culture. And I've been to, I got to do a wedding in South Africa among Indians. I was, like, I was the officiant. And I thought, whoa, these Indians do weddings way different than we do in America. It's still a Christian wedding so you recognize what's God and what's culture. But culture is one of the greatest blind spots in a man's heart, especially in regard to family. One of the things the epistle of Titus teaches us is that ministers are commanded of God to catastrophically destroy pagan culture. Every culture on the planet, even good old Tennessee, Southern Southern Baptist, Christian culture has pagan aspects about it. Titus talks about the testimony and the culture of the Cretans from the island nation of Crete. And he says, this is their testimony. They're evil, they're wicked, beasts, slow bellies, and they're lazy. And he says, this testimony is true. That's their culture. They're lazy, they're slow beasts, they're liars. He says, this testimony is true. That wasn't racism. It was a cultural observation. Right now, racism is the hot-button ticket, but what folks would want to criticize is not a race, it's a culture. But see, our culture, our society is so ignorant, you can't distinguish between color and culture. I'm just, just to take it a step further, we're a very international church. Africans have zero culture in common with African-Americans. Frank says, amen, you're African-American. Yeah. But if you were to address a cultural issue for one or the other, you'd be called a racist, but it has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with culture. Now, this is even worse in family because family is how you were brought up. You know nothing but how you were brought up. So it produces this massive blind spot, massive, because it's all you know. And yet we've got to still take it back to the Bible to understand what God said, because as you grow up, if you've not been married, you will be married one day. God will give you kids. And it may be you need to purge yourself from how you were raised so your kids don't repeat the same perversion. Just because you were raised a certain way doesn't make it right. And every one of us has cultural blind spots and family blind spots that must be judged based on the Bible and be brought back into alignment. Amen. God knows how families ought to work. We're running off of, if we go by the Bible chronology, we're running off of 6,000 years of corrupted human existence. Things fall very quickly after 6,000 years of paganism, even in the good old Bible belt of the South. So cultural blind spots. The culture we were raised in is our frame of reference for everything. It's all you know whether you're raised in the South, whether you're raised in Connecticut, New York, Michigan, whether you're raised in Nigeria, whether you're raised in Iceland, Ireland, whether you're raised in Chile, whether you're raised in the Philippines, Australia, whether you were raised in India or Madagascar, that's how you were raised. It, it is your frame of reference for everything. And you know that from the time you can talk and form words and communicate, every, your heart is totally being programmed through that filter. And some is good. Don't touch that. That's a fire. Fire is fire in every culture on the planet. (laughs) Respect mom and dad is respect mom and dad in every culture on the planet. I'm hungry as I'm hungry in every culture on the planet. But what you eat when you're hungry is totally different all over the world. Amen. Culture offers the rules and interpretive tools for every experience we're likely to encounter. Your mom and dad had a way of teaching you how to process this, how to handle that. What do you think when this happens? If your parents are outdoorsy, you're outdoorsy. If your parents parents love hockey, you're going to like hockey. If your parents like NASCAR, you're going to like NASCAR. If your parents uh, are hippies, you're going to be a little hippie. If they listen to Simon and Garfunkel, you're going to like Simon and Garfunkel. If they listen to Hank Williams Sr., you're going to listen to Hank Williams. It's, It's your culture. They're into rodeo. I grew up in Louisiana. A lot lot of my family's rodeo. You're going to be into rodeo. And if all you ever know is, let's say, Arkansas, Texas, Louisiana, if all you ever know is rodeo and you go up to Connecticut and they don't even know what a cutting horse is, you're like, what? You don't know what a cutting horse is? What is wrong with you? And they're thinking, you cut horses? What kind of animal are you? (laughs) And yet you're both Americans and you're both white culture. Because it is bequeathed to us by the people we love and respect the most, we receive it unquestioningly. That's culture. We receive it from the people we love and respect the most. It's, it, that's what's in us by God, to trust your mom and dad in everything they give you. But the problem is mom and dad aren't perfect on everything. Even us here today, even my wife and I, as pastors of this church, we're not perfect. We're going to impart some things into our kids that are going to have to be changed later. We're all advancing. My key, the key for us is, and for you as well, to always be chasing God so we can always help them adapt to whatever needs to be adapted to. You can't be static in this life. You stay founded on Christ, but you can't be static because our culture is changing rapidly. It's changing exponentially. Actually, if it was a parabolic curve, it's dropping off parabolically into hell. Uh, If you know the name Phil Vischer, that's the founder of VeggieTales, Whose, whose videos are just brilliant. He's very gifted to do children's ministry. He has produced so much content for the body of Christ for children. But I, re- I saw an interview or heard him speak a couple weeks ago um, on a podcast or something. He said, Before too much longer, we're going to have to produce content for the churches to teach children how to handle transgender children, because that's where it's all headed. Because culture is given to us by the people we love and respect the most. We receive it unquestioningly. All culture contains flaws, biases, and sins that must be judged and conformed to God's law. Every one of us were taught by mom and dad in some form or fashion to sin or dishonor God. I don't believe intentionally, but again, There's the human component. There's the emotional component. There's the fear component. Mom and dad weren't perfect. And my wife and I, even though we're trying to spearhead better parenting, we're not perfect. There's going to be things I see 10 years from now as a student of God's word. I'm going to tell my wife 10 years from now, I wish we'd have known that when Justice was three and not when he was 13. I'm going to wish I'd have known that before Lydia turned 15 and not not when she was 25. There's these issues. That's culture. Where, what happens all around the world is people get dogmatic and religiously entrenched on their culture. And around here in these parts is, well, you know, if mama ain't did it and grandpappy ain't did it, well, it just ain't what we do. Well, you're an ignoramus. Maybe mom and dad went to hell. Maybe they were dead wrong. You ever thought mom and dad, oh, mom and dad weren't wrong. Really? Never once. At some point, the 13-year-old opens their eyes and realizes, mom and dad don't know everything I thought they knew. Your key as a parent is to outrun God for, instead of them. Most of what happens, I watch parenting, is mom and dad are awesome till the kids get to be 12, 13, and 14. Then they realize mom and dad don't really walk with God like they think they do. Your key as a mom and dad is to always run and chase Jesus better than your kids. Because how it ought to work is, is that you're always your child's hero, even when they're in their 50s and you're in your 70s and 80s. If you ever stop being your kid's hero, you reveal that you were flawed and a hypocrite and playing a game the whole time. I have enough preacher friends in their 70s and 80s now that their kids who are my age still look up to them because mom and dad have never stopped chasing Jesus. And even though these kids are my age, 40, mid 40s, pushing 50s, they realize, wow, mom and dad still know more than I do. Sure, they've been chasing God longer than you. You have failed as a parent when your kids start, stop looking up to you. Because it means at some point they realize there's a man behind the curtain and mom and dad were just playing games. All culture contains flaws, biases, and sins that must be judged and conformed to God's law. Family culture is changing, but God's blueprint does not. We get it. Family's changing. That doesn't mean God's word changes. God's word is forever settled under heaven. It stopped being written about 96 A.D. when John the Revelator penned uh, the Revelation. And then the canon was closed. It's not changed in 2,000 years. Man is changing. The hypocrisy of the modern church is we're trying to change God to fit man rather than change man to fit God. The seeker-friendly movement wants to custom-tailor God to suit man rather than custom-tailor man to suit God. And I'm sorry, God's the pattern, and when you don't match up with the pattern, we're cutting parts off of you to make you suit God. God is not coming down to please us. We come up to please him, and if you don't come up, you don't please him. So part of culture usually is that, we're gonna stay the same. Fine, you don't suit God. He'll just pass you over. There is a reason this region is so poor, so backward, so ignorant, and has been since Christianity came here. Our region is only prospering because of the abundance of outsiders moving in. This region has had a polytechnical institute for a hundred years, and we're still one of the poorest cities in the nation. That's the effects of religion and poor culture. Are you picking on us? That is my job and commission by God Almighty. I am not from here. Cookville should be thankful. (laughs) I have seen bigger than this place. I've lived bigger than this place. This place does not impress me. Some of you come out of such a backwards place. Cookville is the highest place on the map for yin's. When Cookville is your mecca, you need to travel to Knoxville on your way to something bigger than Knoxville. Amen. Amen. Here's kind of, I saw this a while back. I tweaked it, modified it. This is how family culture changes. Your great-great-grandmother had 12 children. That's pretty typical back in the day. You had a high infant mortality rate, plus you had farms. You needed children to work the farm, plus there's no birth control. You just kept making babies. Your great-great-grandmother had 12 children. Your great-grandmother had seven children. Your grandmother had four children. Your mama had two children. You've had one cat, three rescue dogs, and two abortions. Your plants will wither when you pass away. That's today's family culture. That's the college-educated woman right there. I'm not against college education. Many of you are, but you know exactly the stereotype I'm shooting at. They even talk about in our nation that college-educated people have less and less babies. We're actually static now. If it weren't for immigration, our population would be dwindling. Because our culture through women's lib and feminism says children are a burden. Children will hurt your career. Children will hurt your figure and what you look like. And Instagram filters can't take those stretch marks away. So let's just have a dog or two rescue dogs, a cat two abortions. This is the devolution of the American culture. This is what the West exports now. God's word doesn't change, though. Children are a blessing. When you don't have children, you die alone. When you don't have children, the last 20 Christmases are very lonely. You have nobody to come back to you. Nine rescue cats later, you got nothing to come back to you. Family culture extremes. Let's look at some extremes. These are kind of the bookends of family culture. You have large families versus small families. It's very common for Catholics to have large families. It's very common for Mormons to have large families. Africans have large families. Europeans have usually small families, one kid. America now has like 1.5 kids and then three and a half animals. So these are the extremes, large families versus small families. Muslims have large families, typically averaging about eight children per marriage. Teenage marriages versus never marry. These are the extremes. Seventy years ago, it wasn't uncommon for teenagers to get married. Now, you rarely ever see teenagers get married, and I think we, we don't believe teenagers are mature enough anymore. But we know the Virgin Mary, when she was betrothed, was probably 13 or 14 years old. And so it wasn't an uncommon thing. Uh, nowadays, the other extreme is folks never marry. They just, they just want to cohabitate. That's another extreme. Never leave the farm versus never return home. We have folks that never want to leave the farm. I was born here. I was raised here. I'm going to die and we'll take over the family farm. But the other extreme of family is I left at 17 and I've never been home again. These are the extremes. I'm not saying yay or nay to any of these. I'm just giving you the extremes of family in the world today because we have to judge it down the middle with the word of God. Cohabitate before marriage or separate and celibate until you get married. The the modern mindset is, well, how do you know if it's going to work? We need to test drive each other. Dude, parts is parts. Parts is parts. It'll work. God designed it to. Illegitimate babies versus married two-parent homes. Some cultures in our nation thrive on illegitimacy. And their babies are illegitimate when mom is 13 and 14 years old. Those Population cultures or population uh, densities of our culture, they usually have the highest abortion rate. 40% of that culture aborts their babies. That's a cultural problem. If I address it, I'm called a racist. But the cultural problem is you have single family homes, mama usually, daddy. The men are just the most cowardly, useless human beings because they just have sex with all these girls, sire, all these babies, leaving 12 and 13 year old mamas. What does a 12 and 13 year old do? The culture promotes abortion. So the babies that aren't aborted, they're raised by 13-year-olds. The grandmother's 26. Great-grandmother's 39. Yeah. This culture unravels very rapidly. That's a cultural problem. If I call out the color, I'm the racist. There's a bigger problem than the popo oppressing that people. That's a cultural dysfunction. And it started in the 1960s. Pre-arranged marriages versus eloping. Those are two extremes. I don't agree with either one of them, just so you know. The Bible doesn't support either one of them. We don't so much do pre-arranged marriages, but the developing nations do. I've seen it in Africa. It's big in India. Uh, and then eloping is, you know, we're just going to run away. We don't care what anybody thinks. We're going to go to the J-O-P, the justice of the peace. Born-again believers don't go to the J-O-P. Born again believers, they don't go to the karaoke Elvis impersonator to marry in the chalet in Gatlinburg either. They get married in the house of God before the man of God in the congregation of God because it's a God thing. You go to the J-O-P, he's going to be signing your divorce papers too. Bride prices and dowries, which we know nothing about in the West, though Africans do, uh, or verbal packs. And in between there's the Western A culture of engagement rings and promises and bequeaths and bequaffles and all that. Long vacations. This is family culture versus what's a vacation? (laughs) Depending on how you're raised. You know, you might have been raised taking uh, summer in the Hamptons. What? You don't summer in the Hamptons? Summer is not a verb. (laughs) That's a totally different kind of culture. We summer in the Hamptons. I don't even know where, like Hampton Inn, you spend a whole summer. No, the Hamptons, man. No, I don't know summer. Summer. I worked a job on a vegetable farm. That's what I did this summer. Oh, oh, well, we summer in the keys. You keep speaking gibberish. Versus some folks like, what's a vacation? I I started writing a, I did write a curriculum, but I I'm working through a giant book I read that basically talks about the invention of vacations. Vacations are a very modern invention, like the last hundred and fifty years at most. And it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution in our nation when a middle class exploded that people had money to take time off. Understand the notion of family vacations as we as Westerners enjoy is really only mainstream the last 60, 70 years. I had a friend whose wife left him and divorced him because they didn't vacation enough. He had a master's degree in geotechnical engineering, was helping to take care of her college bills and raise their two kids. She got mad because she thought she deserved more vacations. He bought them a house, he took care of their cars family extremes. And to her, she thought she deserved it. She thought it was a They were Christians. Biblical grounds for divorce. She married her divorce lawyer later. Can't make this stuff up. Six week courtships versus long submitted engagements. I don't think a six week in courtship is good for anybody. Truthfully, the older you are, the more you should get counseling. Because the older you are before you get married, the more life you have to combine. So like you get two 40-year-olds getting married, you're combining 80 years of lived experience. That's a lot harder to do than two 22-year-olds. I think everybody needs marriage counseling. If you didn't get any, you really hurt yourself, and you're probably smarting from it now. It's probably throbbing you now. Even when you did get marriage counseling, you still have to have issues from time to time. that need help and resolution. But you got some folks that do six week courtships or, you know, uh, with a 90 day fiance is a new TV show. I'm telling you, reality TV show is a freak show. It's, it's our, it's our indictment against our nation to God almighty. God's going to judge this nation. There's a day when God judges the nations. He's just going to play reality TV reruns <laughs> at the great white throne of judgment. And say, see, 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 see. see? <laughs> I got tickled because we were on vacation. We were eating a lot of popcorn and we watched My 600 Pound Life, which is about people trying to lose 600 pounds. And the next show was called Fat and Fabulous. So they couldn't decide do I want to lose 600 pounds or am I fat and fabulous? God's going to say, see, 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 no fruit of self control anywhere here. Open affection in your family. Versus no affection. Some of us were raised with no affection. Some of you have told me your daddy never told you he loved you. Some of you have told me my mom and dad were always kissing on each other. so gross. <laughs> Some cultures show absolutely no affection publicly. And I don't think that's accurate or biblical either. So I don't want to, we'll, we'll spend the next several weeks touching on all these subjects from the word of God. But you need to be able to tell your kids you love them. You're proud of them. Kids need to be held. They need to be touched. Dads need to hug and touch kids. It's okay to tell your dad you love him. It's okay, dads, for you to tell your kids you love them. And your daughters need to hear that you love them. Daughters need to hear that you think they're beautiful, that you're proud of them. Part of our problem in this society is we just, we haven't stuck with the Bible when it came to parenting. We thought we knew better than God. And we're wondering why our nation's as crazy as it is. Verbal affection... Versus unspoken love. You can't unspeak love. It's, just, it's spoken or it's not. Like the, the, the one guy said, redneck, you always got to do the redneck Tennessee accent when somebody's really stupid. I told you I loved you once, and if I change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> you never tell me you love me. I told you once the day we got married, and if I'm changing my mind, I'll be sure to let you know. Yeah, don't marry an idiot like that. That's a horrible life. Amen. (laughs) The only reason you can't tell somebody you love them is either you don't or you're too arrogant. Time together, that's a family culture or every man for themselves. Some of you have told me, my parents didn't raise me, my teenage brothers did. Or my mom and dad were gone all the time. I was left to fend for ourselves. That was a big culture in the 80s. It was called latchkey. That's how I was raised. My mom and dad worked a lot. My brother and I came home. I was 10. He was seven. Man, we just ran the neighborhood until about 8 o'clock. Well, not, that's an exaggeration. But we were home by ourselves several hours a day. And in the summer, it was all day. We just ran all over town. That was the 80s. You could do that. Now it's called child endangerment. I've been to Africa 20 times now. In Africa, two-year-olds walk anywhere they want to go. That's their culture. Three-year-olds wearing school uniforms just walk along the busy roads and nobody messes with them. That's just part of it. It's crazy here. You don't even let your kid play in the front yard by themselves here. (laughs) Isn't that right? Isn't that crazy? I gotta tell my kids, stay in the backyard. Don't go in that front yard. Why? I don't know. (laughs) I looked at the Google Maps. and said, here there be dragons. And so maybe there's a dragon in the driveway. Some family culture is a stay-at-home dad, which I think is weird unless he's on disability, versus the 90-hour-a-work-week dad. That's wrong, too. If you're, if you're a dad and you are a 90 hour work week you are costing your children their, their heritage. If you don't have enough money to live, you need to downsize your living expenses because you're working 90 hours a week, but you're selling your children into slavery. You'll always use the excuse, well, I'm doing it for the kids. I'm doing it. No, they'd rather have their dad than money. Your wife would rather have a husband than money. They want to know who sired them. What was your childhood like? I don't know. My dad was always working. Why? I don't know. Children want a dad. They don't want an extra 20 grand a year. It means nothing to them anyway. Plus that extra 20 grand a year, you're going to be coughing that up in therapy and bail. Stay-at-home mom versus a 90-hour workweek mom. The last 30 years has made The Devil Wears Prada a very popular ambition for women. That's the the Fortune 500 CEO gal, stiletto heels and the $1,000 Chanel purse, and she's just got to go have her career. Children just want a mama. And it's one thing to let the college put a bunch of junk into you, but then reality kicks in and you realize, I just want to be a mama. If you notice how the Western culture mocks mothers, they mock the desire to stay at home and just care for kids and raise a civil society. You have to go get your, and I'm not against any woman getting educated, getting a master's, get a PhD. I'm not against that. We have a lot of you ladies have PhDs and I'm proud of you. That's amazing. It's a lot of work, but there's something on the inside will click and you'll say, I just want to be a mama now. I like being educated, I like having that PhD, but I just want to be a mama. That's noble. Don't let our society tell you it's ignoble to want to be a mother, amen. Homeschool versus public school versus boarding school. These are family cultures too, and we're just talking about all the different dichotomies, all trichotomies of family culture. Uh, Some folks at homeschool, public school is getting more and more precarious I actually had a family in the church tell me that their four-year-old has a teacher who is transitioning. So how do you explain to a four-year-old that the she is now becoming a he in our town? Why does a four-year-old have to comprehend that? That's one of the situations we're going to have to navigate in the coming years. Boarding school. I was in Kenya one time talking to the pastor there, and I noticed his sons were serving him in the ministry, and it really blessed me. I only had Lydia at the time, or yeah, I I don't think I had any kids at the time. So I was asking all my ministry friends I could ever see do parenting successful. I wanted tips. I said, Pastor so and so. I said, I noticed that your boys serve you in the ministry. What's the key to parenting? Why do these boys serve you? He said, Boarding school. I said, What? the key to parenting is boarding school. Well, I didn't really know that concept. I said, what do you mean? He said, I sent my boys off to the Rift Valley Academy in Kenya. Like, for the summer? No, they went to school there. We saw them in the summers. And I said, in my heart, no. No, that is not the key to parenting. That's the weirdest thing. They may serve you now, but they don't know you. And I have since heard of other missionaries talk about the trauma of their missionary parents sending them off to boarding schools and they just weep and sob because mom and dad are getting rid of them for eight months. Children need mom and dad. They don't need iPads. They don't need iPhones. They don't need Netflix. They need a mom and dad that will hold them and nurture them and comfort them and toughen them and challenge them and pray with them and be there for them. Why don't my kids want to be? Why doesn't my 15 year old want to be with me? Because you didn't want to be with them when they were five. They hardened their heart when you didn't have time for them. This is taking longer than I wanted it to. Just because you survived your upbringing doesn't mean it was biblical (laughs) or that it needs to be propagated. I turned out okay. Mm, The therapist doesn't agree. I turned out decent. Mm, No, no, I don't know. I think we need to overhaul according to the Bible. Everything comes back to the Bible. Let's look at what the Bible has to say. It's time again to renew family culture to God's blueprint. Everything needs to be pruned. Everything needs to be pruned, even how we were parented. What worked in the 50s and 60s does not work today. You know, in my generation, I was born in the mid-70s. We could in the 80s be told, go play and don't come home till it gets dark. And only God knows where we went. And we were gone all day on bikes. Even in Seattle, when I lived in Seattle in the early 90s, my brother and I would bicycle from where we lived in the suburbs all the way into the valley to the mall. It's like 20-something miles round trip in Seattle just to go shopping and then turn on and bike back. You can't do that anymore. You cannot be stagnant In your parenting. It has to be dynamic and always in line with God's word. Bookends to God's blueprint. It's not good for man to be alone. Let me just throw you, I'm not going to talk about these. I just want to throw you blueprints. It's not good for man to be alone, but there are eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. So it's not good for man to be alone, but then there are those who God makes a eunuch. That is, they're going to be alone the rest of their life. They're not going to be married, but it's for the kingdom of God's sake. Now, listen, you don't get permission to be alone living on some cave, some cabin out in the woods somewhere. If you're a eunuch for the kingdom's sake, you live for God 24-7 and you're in full-time ministry. That's the apostle Paul. That's some of these, these great missionaries and some of these great men and women who sacrificed having a family, that they might burn their candle for the gospel 24-7. You don't, I'm, well, God's called me to be a eunuch. You, know, you just want to go live by yourself in some weird cabin somewhere and collect cats. That's not why God made you a eunuch. And some of you are terrified. God's called me to be a eunuch. Do you want to get married? Yes. you want to have sex? Oh, yes. Then you don't have a eunuch grace, so you don't have to worry about it. (laughs) You want babies as an after effect of sex? Yes. Yeah. You don't have a eunuch grace. It's really easy. (laughs) A man leaves father and mother to be with his wife. Do you hear that, boys? Leave mama. Grown men don't nurse on the apron strings. That's weird. My mom and dad have no say in my marriage whatsoever. It's weird. My mother-in-law has no say in our marriage. It's weird. Now, there are times when my mom or dad might say something about their grandkids and say, I think you need to look at this. Or can I talk? And they're very respectful. My dad pulled me aside not too long ago, and said, son, I need to talk to you. I thought, oh, Lord, I'm in trouble again. (laughs) I know. I think he said, boy, yes, sir. (laughs) He said, I noticed this. I think this, this, and this. And you need to look into it and I'll help you take care of it, but I think you need to watch this. All right. And I got to submit to my dad and say, he, he sees something I don't see. So I looked into it. it turned out it was just my, one of my girls being really slick and pulling the wool over Papa's head. He was concerned about something and we had it looked into and it wasn't anything bad at all. It was just my daughter being stubborn and not wanting to obey. So... There's permission for mom and dad, but they have to, listen to me, grandparents, you have to respect your children's boundaries. And some of you need to invent some boundaries because you got none. My parents don't just show up at my house. That's weird and inappropriate. They call. They don't just show up. Hey, we're going to come over Friday. Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah. Because we're busy. They're retirees. Anyway, I said I wasn't going to go into this too much. A man leaves father and mother to be with his wife. We'll talk about this in the weeks ahead. But you still honor your father and mother. So it's not like you abandon ship and never look back. You still honor them. Honor your father and mother, but we ought to obey God rather than man. So there's a boundary there. A man cleaves to his wife. So you're committed to your wife till death do you part. And you don't cheat. You don't go looking around. You don't daydream. But if the unbeliever depart, let them depart. You cleave, but if they're going to turn pagan and leave you, you have to let them depart. You don't follow them into sin because you're too busy cleaving to them. You can't save a marriage by compromising Jesus. If your spouse turns unbeliever, if your spouse denies Christ, if your spouse says, I don't want to serve God anymore, you don't forsake Jesus for the sake of cleaving. You let them depart because you're not going to fix anything by abandoning God with them. So what is God's blueprint for family? First thing God said about family. This is where we get into the hermeneutical law of first mention. What is the first thing God said about family? Number one, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply. One of the key... Well, this is what the theologians will call the social mandate. You have the Great Commission, which is go into all the world and preach the gospel. This is the social mandate replenish the earth, be fruitful and multiply. You get married, and one of the reasons you want to get married is to have children. You don't have children any other way. Now, we believe in adoption. Don't misunderstand me. Let me be offensive. I have my opinions, and let me see if you can debate me later. I don't think you should adopt children when you're alone. Now, you could make the argument, yeah, but it's better than nobody. Okay, but you're, you're robbing them of the other spouse. You're robbing them of a parent. But it's better than being in the orphanage so you don't think God can send somebody else to come and adopt them. The way God, we're going to say some things that are going to offend you because we're in a new cultural norm. I've got to jump back to the headwaters and say, what did God intend from the beginning? So you can debate me all day long. You can disagree all day long. But I'm going to say, what does the Bible say? I don't care what social media taught you. I don't care what your college taught you. I don't care what your fraternity taught you or your sorority taught you. I don't care what your race teaches you. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. The biblical order is you get married, then you have kids because children need the stability and the balance of a man and a woman, and men are different. I know this is, this is revolutionary. Men are way different than women. We are not egalitarian around here. I am not an egalitarian, which means we are not equal. Men and women are different. We are what's called complementarian. We complement each other. What does that mean? I can't breastfeed and my wife can't open a pickle jar. That's what that means. <laughs> And together we make the world go round. (laughs) She has graces I'll never have. I have abilities she'll never know. That's just how it works. If we're equal, one of us is unnecessary. There is a massive push in the body of Christ, Western church, to push egalitarianism where we're all equal, that we have equal abilities. We don't have equal abilities. We don't have equal graces. Not mom and dad. No, no, no. Mama has sides about her. I don't ever have. I'll never have. I don't want them. And I've got strengths about me she doesn't have and she doesn't want. All of this is just post-feminism trying to work its way into the seminaries and pervert the church. Be fruitful and multiply. God's order is you get married, then you have kids. We believe in adoption. The, the early church practiced adoption because the Romans practiced this early form of abortion called exposure. When they didn't want a baby, they just cast them out. They just take the newly born baby and toss it out to either be eaten by stray dogs to get hypothermia or die, or the early church just began picking up those babies. And that's one of the ways the early church grew. They adopted all the pagan babies from the streets and the gutters, biblical history, but they brought them into established homes and I get it, if you're gonna be a Christian, maybe a Christian mother, and you're gonna run an orphanage, I believe in that, but that's running an orphanage still, and you're educating them. But we're li- you really have to judge your heart to see how much feminism, how much academia, how much college, how much university, how much social media has changed the way you think the kingdom ought to run. Because I can tell you this, you are a finite human being, you lived in the most perverse culture on planet Earth, you don't know how this kingdom ought to run. And God doesn't need your recommendation. He's already given us the blueprint. Amen. This reveals that God wants married couples to procreate and have children. I understand there are times when you get married later in life and you're past that season. You may not be able to because of menopause or maybe the man now is infertile. That At that point, if you were still young enough and you wanted to, adopt. But God wants married couples to have children. This is the first commandment of the entire Bible. It's also the first commandment of the Jewish mitzvah. Out of the 613 commandments, this is number one. This is the first thing God ever told man to do. Be fruitful and multiply. And two people having one kid when you could have more is not multiplication. Two times 0.5 is one. God wants you to multiply and increase a little bit more than yourself. So that one's pretty easy to understand. And we'll cover parenting and procreation and all that probably in the weeks ahead. The second statement God made in the Bible. Actually, let's look at Malachi chapter 2 real quick. Malachi 2 just so we can see why God invented marriage in the first place so we can understand the bigger picture here. And now you will also be able to understand why marriage is under attack and even why Christians and church leaders are undermining and reconstructing marriage to suit whatever their fickle pleasure is. One of the one of the worst problems for preachers is that they are afraid of their people. You have no idea how much that plagues a lot of preachers. They, they seem all confident in the pulpit, uh, but until they get the victory over things, they're always worried about numbers. Rumps in the seats and bills in the bucket. And if a preacher steers his church based on those two metrics, he's basically denied Christ. Because we don't chase money and we don't chase rumps. We preach the word and those that want can have it and those that want go away. Amen. And to master that is such freedom. To look at you this morning and say, there's not a one of you that intimidates me, especially when I'm preaching. I'm like, sometimes I look at you and think, I wonder if I can get them to leave. What can I say in the next 15 minutes to make them quit and never come back? Sometimes I know exactly what it would take and I don't. But that just means I've nailed your idol. Amen. <laughs> Malachi chapter 2, verse 15 He says, and did not he make one, talking about marriage, he made two people one, yet had he the residue of the spirit? And why one, that he might seek a godly seed? Why did he allow there to be marriage? That God could find godly offspring. The one refers to the act of sex or intimacy because we understand how biology works. A man and a woman come together, they are one flesh, One flesh eventually will create a baby. And that's why God allows us to come back together, not just for the pleasure and the enjoyment of sex, which is certainly part of it, but because he wants godly offspring. Because the first commandment is be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. Replenish the earth with pagans? No. Replenish the earth with godly children who will go on to marry godly people who will have godly children and the seed goes on and on and on and on. This isn't happening. Right now, the American church is shriveling because families have failed and parents have failed, and there's no godly seed procreating in the earth. It's pagan seed now. This past week or two weeks ago, they said and uh, it's only now 47, 48% of Americans go to church now. First time it's ever dipped below 50%. The American church is shrinking statistically. The next generation just doesn't want God. Southern Baptists lose 80-something percent of their kids to atheism when they go to college. I call that faith rape because we have woke, progressive professors who take it upon themselves. We've even had it at Tech. Many of the students have told me who first day of class, this is so demonic and pagan. They say, how many of you are a Christian? Raise your hands. By the end of this semester, you won't be. I guarantee it. Now, what if that ding-dong PhD idiot had stood up and said, how many of you don't believe in Jesus? I'm going to proselytize you this semester and you're gonna know about Christ and you're gonna believe on him, I guarantee it. Would he keep his job or lose it? Then why does the idiot chemist or the idiot biologist or the idiot uh, humanitarian whatever, humanities, why do they get to keep their job when they mock Christians who are paying their pathetic salary through their tuition? I would encourage you college kids to stand up, be bold about it and say, excuse me, sir, madam, my tuition pays your money, your your income for an education. Do not rape my Christian faith. Do not mock my God, because when this is all said and done, your knee will bow at the throne of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Deal with that, sir or madam. I am paying for an education, not some woke, atheistic, pagan, Marxist indoctrination and then go complain as high as you can. Facebook the thing, Instagram, TikTok the thing, you know, do a little dance. (laughs) Use social media to some kind of good. Is it just me or is Dr. So-and-so, an atheistic, God-marking pagan? Anytime they say, I would just encourage you, quit raping my faith. Hashtag me too. Quit raping my faith. I'm a Christian. Would you rape a Muslim's faith? Would you rape a Buddhist faith? Would you try to rape a Hindu's faith? Why would you rape a Christian's faith? Amen. You little pagan woke PhD nut job. Amen. Hope you have tenure. <laughs> Amen. Why would you just sit here and roll over and take this junk from a bunch of pagans? I just shout out, you need Jesus. You're going to hell with your PhD. Amen. Pilot higher and deeper, burn it hotter. That's what PhD stands for. Pilot higher and deeper. <laughs> For those, of you, we have a lot of PhD folks here. You know what it took to get your PhD. For those of us that don't have one, it's like, wow, impressive. And I don't diminish the work it took. I just talked to another PhD person the other day. I said, I just, I want to call you doctor. You don't have to call me doctor. I want to call you doctor. You earned it. He said, Look, all it takes to get a PhD is you just got to read a lot and then write some more. That's really all it takes. You just have to have time to read and write. I said, That's it. He said, That's All it took me. How can we give them like the unprecedented pass? Amen. God has no respecter of PhDs. They'll go to hell too. Subdue the earth and have dominion. That would include your woke professor's classroom. Subdue the earth and have dominion. That's Genesis 128, same verse. So the second purpose of family, second purpose of family, submission and dominion. This reveals there is power and authority in the family. God wants to work through the family in the earth. There is power and authority in the family unit. Mom and dad in holy matrimony. Children submitted with all gravity to their mom and dad. Being taught the principles of God's word. Living in their home. Having a family altar of God. The presence of God upon their household. There's power and authority in that. I don't think we've ever seen it like that. I think we just thought, this is what I do. I go graduate high school, I go to college, get a degree, find someone to marry, start having kids. Cause that's what we do. That's cultural ignorance. This is what we do. It's what we do as Americans. There's a purpose, subdue the earth and have dominion. That would also mean that God wants us to be victorious, not defeatist. Man was placed in God's garden. Here's the third thing about family. Man was placed in God's garden to dress and keep it, guard it, protect it. This means that there was a purpose for his existence. Before there's ever sin, man has a job. Before there's sin, man is going to have a wife here soon, and they're going to work in this garden together. Their existence revolves around God's garden. Man was placed in God's garden to dress it, keep it, protect it, and guard it. This reveals that the family's life and purpose revolves around God's garden. It does not revolve around hobbies or self. The purpose of family is to ex- establish the kingdom and build the kingdom. Every pastor has seen people come to his church, meet, fall in love, get married, and leave church. They come to church not to get God, but to get a Mrs., to get a Mr. And they fall in love, and, and the next thing you know, they're, they're married. You're the one that married them. You're the one that offered the church facilities for their wedding, and they stick around for two or three months, and then they disappear because they get married for self. God didn't give you a help meet for self. Adam needed a helpmeet to do more for God. He didn't need a helpmeet because he was lonely. He didn't need a helpmeet because he was lusty. He didn't need a helpmeet because he was insecure. He needed a helpmeet because there was more work to do for God. He didn't need to help me because it's, it's easier to clean that boat when you got two people. It's easier to gut those deers when you got two people. It's not why I he got to help me because there's more work to do for God. And if you're not doing, I'll, I'll give you one of my hardcore stances. If you're not serving in the kingdom, you don't need to be married. Not according to Genesis. Genesis provided a spouse because he was busy serving God. Our culture tells us you get married because you're horny. You get married because you're lonely. You get married because your biological clock is ticking. We get married according to the book of Genesis because we're serving God and there's yet more work. And two can put 10,000 to flight. Two can have the prayer of agreement. Two can warm each other. Two can help each other when one falls down. That's why we get married according to the book of Genesis. Not according to the Kardashians. Not according to your sorority sister. According to the Bible. If you're not serving in the kingdom, you don't need a mate. You need to walk with God because once you get a walk with God, you'll get to serving in the kingdom. And once you get to serving in the kingdom, living for the kingdom, building his garden, he'll say, okay, boy, they're really busy. If I get them somebody, they'll be twice as efficient. Everybody wants a mate. Nobody wants to serve God. The family is designed to serve God. It will find its supreme purpose and fulfillment in serving its creator together. There's nothing more rewarding than for me and my wife to watch our children learn the things of God, to serve the things of God, to witness to their friends. The other day, Lydia was playing with some of her friends and and I was around them and I heard Lydia saying, why aren't you born again? And I said, Lyd, he's not born again, Daddy. I said, chill out. Why aren't you born? She's just drilling him. You need to be born again. Why aren't you saved? I said, Lydia, Claire, in front of the boy. I said, look, if he's not born again, he's going to go to hell, but you've got to leave the kid alone. This is not how we do it. He's not saved, Daddy. Yes, I've heard that. You're supposed to put the gospel out there, love on them, then invite them. You can't command them to be born again. He's not saved, Daddy. I get it. Back off. You're offending me, and I am saved. Like, And then on the inside, you're like, yeah, go girl, go girl. <laughs> or you could just raise your kids so that they know, they know Christmas and Easter They know vacation Bible school, and that's all they know. Children are sharp. You put the word of God in them young and early, they get it. They won't ever leave. Now, here's one of the great misnomers or misunderstandings. I've heard this from so many preacher friends or ministers or or just Christians. I don't understand. Well, no, what they said, my child is backslidden, grossly backslidden, but I brought them up in church. And the Bible says, if you train up a child in the way they go, when they're old, they'll not depart. And I want to say, you totally misquoted the whole verse, which means you haven't lived the verse because the verse says, if, if you train up a child in the way that they should go, they'll never depart. You're telling me the kids departed. There's no promise for return. There's a promise for no departure. So if they departed, it indicts you, dad. If they depart, it indicts you, mom, because this proverb is when they're old, they'll not depart. I've heard so many parents try to claim that for their kid coming home. Now, find a different verse. Find the prodigal son. Find the backslider and it will be filled with his own ways. Find those verses, but don't misapply Proverbs because you sound like a fool quoting that scripture when it doesn't apply to you because the key is you train them up. And the promise is when you do train them up, they don't depart. But the family finds its greatest purpose and fulfillment in serving the Creator together. What else are you going to do with your kids? I mean, let them be discipled by social media. Let them be discipled by Netflix or YouTube kids. That's the disciple in your life. If you didn't know, parenting takes a lot of work. So let's back this up again. You have kids because you got married, but did you get married because you were lonely, horny, lusty, and weird? Or did you get married because you were working hard for the kingdom? Because you were working hard for the kingdom, God says, you need help. Now you work hard at marriage. And when you get your first kid, this is just more work. We're used to it. We're not allergic to work like the upper Cumberland is. We know what it takes. It takes work. So what's this? Now you can trust us with two kids. You can trust us with three kids. But if you weren't ever working in the kingdom in the first place, all of this is illegitimate. So your marriage falls apart because you don't know how to work. Then your kids go to hell because you don't know how to work. But I don't understand. We go to church. Going to church does not do it. Going to church is where we come to be refueled. It's, come, it's where we tag up, It's where we touch base before we go on to the next base. This is not, this is not your solution. This is where we give you the solution and you got to go do it. Fourth thing God said about marriage, and this is where we're going to offend some of you if I haven't done so yet. Huh. It is not good for man to be alone. Genesis 2, 18. Man's working in the garden. He's keeping it, guarding it, tending it. He's named all the animals. And there were only two genders in all those animals. The outie and the innie. Parts work the same across the board. And he realized there's a she-goat and there's a he-goat. There's a she-bear and a he bear. She cat, he cat, she platypus, he platypus, she giraffe, he giraffe. And he's realizing I'm a he. You know how he could tell. He had an appendage. And he said, There's no she for me. And the Lord said, It's not good for you to be alone. He didn't say it's not good for you to be lonely. Loneliness is not the issue. He walks with God every day, he's not lonely. He's not lusty, because marriage doesn't fix loneliness or lustiness. Loneliness and lustiness are a sin of the heart. You fix those two, you might put yourself in a position to be a valuable spouse. I've helped folks, they married a lonely, lusty person. You'll find that loneliness and lustiness is of the heart, which means just because your wisdom doesn't mean you have fixed loneliness or lustiness. You can be lonely with 100 friends because loneliness is of the heart. So furthermore, if you want to say he's dysfunctional, you're saying there's sin in the garden before there's ever sin. He's busy working. He needs help. I will make a help meet for him is what God said. Now, here's what the Lord was dealing with me about the other day on this, that I've never taught it like this before. He did not make man a four-legged friend. And yet this nation, the West, self-medicates their lonely issues with four-legged friends. The West, uh, the West does. Other nations don't. This nation and Europe, but mostly this nation, America, Canada, white people, black people don't do this. This is a white people thing. I can say that because I'm white. Did you know I'm white? I get pretty dark in the summer, but it ain't Africa dark. I do have a Cherokee in me. I don't know if it's enough to get any money. (laughs) Man was alone with all these animals. It never even crossed Adam's mind. How about that dog? How about that horse? I really like a zebra, Lord. I. How about a marsupial. That's just kind of fun. They can have pockets. I don't have pockets. I got an appendage. I got no pockets. The marsupials have pockets. If I picked up something like a rock, that possum could carry it for me. (laughs) I think I want a friend. Because we've all heard the stupid Western expression, dog is man's The Koreans disagree with that <laughs> as do the Nigerians as do a lot of Africans cause they eat dog. It never crossed man's mind that the solution to my problem is furry and will lick my toes and my face. It never crossed Adam's mind. Even in his loneliness, Adam could see that dogs have their own kind. Cats have their own kind. Lizards have their own kind. Adam's own kind did not exist yet. He didn't even, he didn't try to help God by courting an orangutan. Some of you girls have. Different one every month. Just some dumb monkey from the weightlifting room. Some dumb monkey you met at the coffee bar. It's good preaching. Man, we're just, we're stomping on every little cultural pothole. God intended for man's heart and soul to be knit with a fellow human being. Because family comes back to the heart. God intended for our hearts to be knit with fellow human beings because God is only concerned with human beings. God is not concerned with animals. Animals are made out of meat. God gave you canine teeth to eat animals. It's pretty simple. We are not an earth stewardship church. I'm all for conservation. Don't change your oil in a sinkhole, I'll be caving in it next week. I'm all for conservation, but we're not saving this planet. I'm not for tofu burgers, unless you like them, but I have canine teeth. That means even if I'm an evolutionist, I believe my teeth are designed for tearing meat. I don't have molars or cuspids like a cow to just chew cud. Tofu is nothing but Chinese cud. I don't know if that's, a, is that racist? <laughs> Tofu's soy product. Marriage is the knitting, or the Hebrew says, the gluing of one man and one woman together, spirit, soul, then body. That's Marriage then from that, you produce children because your bodies are knit together last, not first with tender swipe left one night hookups. Your bodies are knit together last and that will eventually produce a child because that's how parts work. Yes, you can knit your soul to an animal, but that does not make it proper biblical or God-honoring. You can knit your soul to a dog because a dog has a soul. They have emotions. They know fear. They know happiness. The science tells us they don't remember anything five minutes ago, so you can be as cruel to them as you want to. And, and then you walk into, shut the door, come back in the room. They're just as happy to see you all over again. Hopefully I have enough. If you knit your soul to an animal too deeply, the body will follow. And that's called bestiality. That's a problem in America. That's been a problem since the Ten Commandments. It's, it's part of the mitzvah. It's part of the law God gave Moses in the wilderness. You shall not lay with the beast like you would a human being. That's how messed up our nation is. That's how messed up our culture is. You can knit your soul to an animal, but what will happen eventually is your body will follow, and that's bestiality. The reason people choose to knit their soul with an animal is because it's a lot easier than knitting your soul to a human. I think I have a bullet point on that. Man can knit his soul to many things, idols, money, power, mistresses, sex robots. we got folks marrying robots now. It's easy to knit your soul to an animal because they too have a soul and will return limited affection back to you without you ever having to mature. Marriage is not so. If you don't grow up, your spouse is going to let you know and it's going to be hell on earth. Marriage requires you to grow up. Marriage requires your soul to knit and grow together to become more knit. A lot of folks would just rather have animal company because that dog doesn't judge me. She always judges me. Dude, you need judgment. He's always so cruel. Well, you, look. Look at how you act to him. That dog just loves me unconditionally. That dog is a dumb animal. That dog eats rotten possum and comes and licks your face. That dog ate a bowl of maggots from the neighbor's yard and was happy to see you. He's never, your husband's never done that. Come give you a kiss with maggots, worm wiggling in between their teeth. Fall off the cows, licking themselves, eating worms out of the rear end. Dog is man's best friend. Dude, that is a messed up dude if that is your best friend. You can share your soul with a dog, but that's all you can do. You can't obey the other Genesis mandates with a dog. You can't be fruitful and multiply. Though The guy in Florida probably was trying. You can't subdue the earth and have dominion with just you and your dogs, rescue dogs. You can't raise up the next generation of puppies to care for God's kingdom. All you can do is have therapeutic companionship. How might the comforter feel by being replaced by the dog? Isaiah 61 says, The gospel is anointed to heal the brokenhearted. Our culture, America, we self-medicate with therapy dogs. And I'm not against some of these real honest to goodness therapy dogs or whatever they're called when you've had PTSD. But I heard a man give a testimony that God, he was a Marine vet from Afghanistan. He'd served a long time in in the Marines and was over there a lot. He said, God healed him in in a meeting. God delivered him from his alcohol addiction. God delivered him from his medication addiction. And he said this, and God delivered me from my therapy dog. And it never crossed my mind at that moment that people might need deliverance in our nation from food. I guess there's two ways you comfort yourself with food. One you pet, one you eat. How does the comforter feel that you've replaced him with a dog? Might that be idolatry? You look forward to getting home to be with Fido, but you don't look forward to getting home to be with Jesus. You can't wait for that dog's tail to wag at you. <laughs> and come and jump up and lick, and that just makes you feel so important. The cross of Calvary doesn't make you feel so important. I'm not against a pet. Our nation is fighting to give animals personhood. That's a perverse culture. The church has fed the problem. Man has zero biblical permission to exalt animals to the position and status of personhood or family member. How many Christmas cards do I get where this is our family and there's two dogs and a chinchilla? These are my fur babies. Mr. Luke, who does a lot of work with the homeless in our town, said a couple years ago he was raising money. And one lady said, what's this for? He said, it's for the homeless. He said, she said, I'd give you a lot lot more money if it was for the dogs. Gave him a little bit of money, but said, I'd give you a lot more money if it was for the dog kennel. We had a lady in town bequeath her million-dollar estate to the dog pound. That woman's probably in hell. Because when you know Jesus, you don't give money to dogs. You give money to the gospel mission. And if you got money that doesn't go to your kids, you're giving it to a, a missionary. You're giving it to the church you were, were brought up in. You're doing something. You're not giving it to save animals. To do so is soulish dysfunction at best, idolatry at worst. To exalt an animal to the position of family member. Psalm 8. Let's read this. This is our last verse. I got a few more points here, but you're learning anything? This is my my foundational message. So where are we going to go from here? Probably only deeper into the waters of offense. But my Bible tells me in Titus chapter two, uh, actually chapter one, to rebuke them strongly or severely, those that have a dysfunctional culture that doesn't line up with the Bible, rebuke them severely that they might be sound in the faith. Psalm 8, verse four. Let me read you what the psalmist said. What is man, that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that you visited him? For you have made man a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned man with glory and honor. You made man to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under man's feet, all sheep, all oxen, yes, all the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea." everything is under our feet that's god's order and yet christians will exalt a dog to family status christians will let their dog eat better than folks in our community christians will give their dog an insurance rider and an inheritance that is a violation of psalm 8 but that's what we do in america doesn't it make it right yeah we also got folks that have sex with dogs Sex with cows, sex with horses in this nation, in this region. Don't make it right. Why are you defending your culture? This is where I've said for years it offends people. If your animal is sick, I have a five-cent solution. Probably 25 cents now because the price of ammo has gone up. I have a simple solution for a sick animal. It isn't an insurance writer. 150 bucks a month so your cat can have leukemia treatments? That cat doesn't even like you anyway. I saw a meme that says, they say you can't get COVID from cats, but that doesn't mean they haven't tried. (laughs) (laughs) Consider the perversion of Western family culture. The American furry four-legged fifth family member is biblically and accurately considered food by our brothers and sisters in Christ in other parts of the world. To kill Fifi here is a crime. To kill Fifi in Central Africa is lunch. You put Fifi on your Christmas card as a member of your family, and you can go to Central Africa, CAR, Central African Republic, and Fifi will be what they serve at Christmas. Along with chimpanzees and gorillas. I Google searched it. Over 4,500 gorillas are killed and eaten every year in Africa. Down in Atlanta, they're trying to teach Coco how to do sign language and use an iPad. Coco. Coco's dead. That was the famous gorilla in Atlanta when I was a kid. Coco. Could do sign language. That's lunch and car. Central African Republic. It is not good that man should be alone. Let's let him get to work in the house of God so God can give him a spouse. God designed family to begin with one man and woman, joined together by God Almighty, not a dating app, committed to God's kingdom and to each other, growing together, serving one another, providing meaningful God, honoring companionship for each other, building a rock solid union in which to bring children into the world that they might train them to care for God's garden, that the Genesis cycle might continue in perpetuity. That's the blueprint. Anything apart from that is a derivation and deviation by man's perversion. Four things God said about family. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish. Have dominion, subdue the earth. Be world overcomers, not defeatists. Defeatist parents produce fearful children. If you're a fearful, terrified, scared of your own shadow, germaphobe, you probably don't need to be married just yet because you're going to put that on your spouse. And then you're going to raise kids in the same weirdness. Even parents who are new parents grow out of the germaphobe stage. We made the joke before. You got your first kid, everything's Germex, sanitized, Clorox. They drop the, the pacifier on the ground. You take it, wipe it down with Clorox, wipe it down with soap, boil it, you know, have another one to spare. Second kid comes along, and you drop it, you just run it under the water fountain at the bus station. That'll work. Third kid comes along, you drop it off. They drop the pacifier, you just wipe it off, give it back to them. Fourth kid eats a pile of rocks, dirt, and a bug, and you wonder, should I even give him lunch now? I think that qualifies. Even that parent grows up. (laughs) Raise your family for the house of God, not hobbies or pleasure. It is not good to be alone. Fifi doesn't solve the problem. So that is my introduction on the biblical blueprint for family. Feeling really good about it. The fun thing about sin is it gives me something to shoot at. No point in having a gun, right, Gary, unless you can shoot it like a tin can or like Brother Chad, anything that flies what? or walks. walks. (laughs) Having something to aim preaching at is a lot more fun. And what we're going to do in the next several weeks is study the Bible to see where maybe we were given an inheritance that needs to be tweaked a little bit. If you've ever received a natural inheritance, there's some things you inherit that you just don't want. You know, I don't want the Winnebago, so I appreciate that, Grandpa, but we're going to be selling that. There are certain things your family gave you that you're going to have to look at the Bible and say, yeah, we don't, we don't need that. That's, that's stopping here. That's not a tradition we need. That's not a culture we need. That's not a mindset we need. We're going to start to really prune the Western culture. I've been to Africa enough. I understand some African context. The Africans will let me deal with their culture and not call me a racist. African-Americans will not let me touch their culture lest I be called a racist talk about hypocrisy. I can't even do my job as a preacher because I'll be labeled a racist for exposing sin. So if that means the African Americans want to sit on their sin, so be it. I'll deal with sin regardless. Aborting four out of 10 babies is sin. Illegitimacy is sin. Blaming everybody for your problems is sin. We're world overcomers. Us and God is the majority. Nothing stops us and God. Quit being such a victim. Be a world overcomer. Amen. I preach this way in Africa. They love it. They're like, yes, the God of the white man is the God of the Uganda. And they cheer it. It's like, yeah, no difference between me and you, just our faith. That's it. That's that's what we do. We serve God together.